Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8 is an unbelievable chapter in the scope, listen, of prophecy. It's an unbelievable, and you go, why? Because we have to remember that Daniel, the book of Daniel, is one of the most highly contested books in Scripture. It's, everybody points to that. You go, Ben, I'm not sure what do you mean. Why? Because the prophecies are so detailed that they came back and said, there's no way, there's no way somebody could with 100% accuracy predict these things. And so, so they, they come right back here and, uh, you know, they, you just go, wow. And then when you look at the backdrop of what actually happened in history, well, people want to reason it away. They want to reason away the predictive biblical prophecies. They want to disprove the Bible automatically. And so where do they go? They run to Daniel. They run to Daniel because his prophecies are so unbelievable and they have literally fulfilled history. Well, Daniel chapter 8 is one of the main reasons that critics will try and say the book of Daniel was written by the prophet Daniel from the Babylonian Empire in the 6th century B.C., and here's what they want to do. They want to place it around the first century B.C. There's no way. He could not prophesy, so let's, let's move it. In other words, he's looking back at history, and then he writes and goes, oh, well, here's what I prophesied. And this is, and it goes, well, yeah, and we come and go, oh, of course, it's true, it's true. And, and he's going, no, 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 no. You see, because of prophecies that we're going to find in um, Daniel chapter 8, so exact, church, listen to me, that we look at what happened in history and, and amazingly mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. But we've got to do some work. We've got to do some work. Listen, when it comes to chapter 2 and chapter 7 and now chapter 8, we're told that, these, we're told that this was going to happen in great t- detail and it actually happened just the way Daniel saw it. So, chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8. So, it's with great excitement as I was studying today as we move through these last chapters in the book of Daniel. But not only is it historical, but you need to understand that it's very prophetic. It gives us a detailed look at what's going on and what's going to happen even when we're gone. So, I'm sitting at my desk today and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, these are things that are going to happen, but I pray that none of us would be here. None of us, those listening via podcast, those listening via radio, would put their faith and trust in God before it's too late. Before it's too late. And that's really the goal, is it not, church? Our goal is to populate heaven and depopulate hell. God, what do you want to do? We want to see as many people saved. As many people saved. We want to see people saved. We want to see people living victoriously. So, I get excited. I see this. And again, it's prophetic. It gives us a detailed look at what's going on. And so we've got to look and see what's happening. Now, by way of introduction, here's what you need to jot these down. Chapter 7 through 12, remember, are visions that Daniel had. Chapter 7 through 12. 
But the chronology of these events of chapter 7, 8, belong to, in between, uh, chapters 4 and 5. If you're taking note, what happens in chapter 9 happens about the same time chapter 6. You know, where Daniel was in the lion's den, and you go, um, so what would it look like? How, what, what, what would it look like? So it would be chapter 4, 7, 8, and 5. That's really how it should have been written. Chapters 4, 7, 8, and 5. And then chapters 6 and 9, okay, then you'd have 6 and 9 kind of uh, cuddled together, if you will. And then you have the visions of chapter 10 through 12 take place right after chapter 6. Now that I've thoroughly confused you, I don't know why Daniel chose to write with this here and this here and this chapter put in here and, and chronology or chronological it should be on these different places. So when you read it, you have to understand that because we're going to talk about Belshazzar and we've already said goodbye to Belshazzar a long time ago. And so, no, he's not resurrected from the dead. He doesn't come back. We have to go back in time to see exactly what Daniel is saying. The one thing we need to grasp is that God told us what was going to happen in history through the prophet Daniel. And God uses, check this out, the foretelling of the future events to authenticate to us that he's God. That he's God. And that his word is true. Now, your attention please, we have to be so careful. Because sometimes you'll have well-meaning people come up and go, I'm a prophet! And let me tell you what the future is going. Well, remember, back in the Old Testament, what's, what's he doing? These prophets were foretelling the future to authenticate to us that he's God. But now we have the canon of Scripture, and he calls us to walk by faith, so we trust that this is already, we know what's going to happen. Now, there might be a minor detail or two, but we know what's going to happen through Scripture. If we study the book of Daniel, if we study the book of Revelation, you know we have and we know what's going to happen. Now, here's the details that are a little bit different. The John and the island of Patmos might go, look, I saw some strange looking grasshopper thing. And, and we go, oh, no, that's not that's a that's a helicopter. That's a whatever, you know, he could have been seeing that. We don't know exactly what it is, but we do know that something is coming in all of this is going to take place. So we have that. So we have to be careful. Because really, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what authenticates to us that he's God. The Holy Spirit tells us, hey, and that's why you're saved. It was that knock on your heart, and you're going, okay, I believe. I believe. Now, I don't just believe like, hey, the sun will come up tomorrow. Bet you're not, not Not like that, but more of an internal going, wow. I believe. And, and, and in my belief, I'm going to obey and I'm going to, I'm going to walk in Him and I'm going to listen to Him and I'm going to walk humble before Him and I'm going to honor Him and I'm going to love Him and I'm going to praise Him. That's, that's the difference. You see, Christianity church is not just in name only. We can't just go, I claim the name of Christianity, but not have a heart that's changed. Something had to happen inside. Something had to happen. Think of the disciples. For the most part, all 11 of them were were walking with God. They believed. Peter, who do you say that I am? You're Christ, the son of the living God. But there stood Judas. There stood Judas. 
and nothing had changed him. Oh, no, no, pastor, but he, he was a Christian. He looked like a Christian. He behaved like a Christian. He was intelligent because they said, this is the guy that needs to keep the money. This is the guy. He's smart. Judas was smart, but he did not have a transformation in his life. You know, pastor, what's the point? Make sure that our heart has been transformed by God. Make sure that we're not just simply like Judas, walking with the crowd and pretending to be Christians, acting like Christians. And if that is even a concern for us, we've got to stop right now and go, Lord, search my heart. Have I changed in the inside? Have I, have I been transformed? And you go, I'm not sure. Well, then you make that step. Say, Lord, I want all that you have for me. I want to be saved but not saved in the sense where I look and behave like a Christian. I got a Christian bumper sticker on my car, and I play Caleb. I'm talking about, I'm talking about an authentic, born-again, spirit-filled follower of God. Can I get an amen? amen? So, let's read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll come back and break it down. Daniel chapter 8, 1 through 9 says this, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. And I saw this vision. It so happened while I was looking that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw the vision that I was by the river Eli. Then I lifted my eyes and I saw. And there standing beside the river was a ram with two horns. And the two horns were high but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward, so that no animal could stand, withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver him from the hand, but he did according to his will and became great. Verse 5. And I, and as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth. Without touching the ground, the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen, seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with this furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, broke his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to withstand him. But he cast him down to the ground, and he trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken. And in place of it were four notable ones that came up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of the one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. Now, that's verses 1 through 9. Your attention, please. I believe right here, think about this. Something is super exciting, but you got to labor with me for just a moment. The book of Daniel is broken down in two ways, church, two ways. Both are awesome and both are correct. So I want to take some time and talk about it for just a minute. If you're taking note, you want to jot this down. 
chapters 1 through 6, chapters 1 through 6, these chapters are known as the historical chapters, the historical chapters. And what it does is it gives us a brief look at history, chapters 1 to 6. Now, remember our study way back in, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It freaks him out so much that he is going to kill every wise guy, wise man in Babylon. And you know the story. Daniel says, wait, 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 wait. Him and, and his buddies get together and they pray. God gives him the interpretation. You know what it was. He gives them the interpretation. It was about the giant. It was about the giant. Let's see if I can get Sarah to post that one picture of the giant so you guys can see one more time. Okay, there you go. Perfect. Thank you, Sarah. See, you see, this is what he saw. It was a head of gold. We see that's Babylon. It was the chest and the arms of silver. That's the Medo-Persians. I want you to write that down. The belly and the thighs of bronze. That's Greece. And then legs of iron. That's Rome. Later on, this is a future kingdom. We talked about this for the last several weeks. This was the feet of iron and clay with ten toes. That's a future kingdom. Now, there is a prophetic gap between the iron and the iron and the clay. This is known as the church age. The church age. We are in the church age right now. We're in the church age right now. Within the church age, we find that we, were, that we talk about something called the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. This is happening in our day right now. But what you need to remember, church, and here's the admonition for all of us, be sure you get your news from a credible place. Because there's a lot of things going on in our country that we have no clue because the, the, the media will not cover certain events. And we're like, okay, well, when did this happen or how did this happen? So right now, we're in the church age. Now, I have read an excerpt from Joel Rosenberg, and on his blog, here's what he says. He asked the question, are we going to see these wars? We've, we've talked about that, but let me, let, me, let me tell you what he wrote in his blog. Will the war of Gog or Magog happen before the rapture? Now, this is him. This is him. Quote, the truth is we simply don't know the answer for certain. Why? Because Ezekiel does not say. Many of the theologians I cited in Epicenter believe that the war will occur after the rapture. Let me stop right there. Rapture, and then all of a sudden the war is going to happen, so you and I won't see it. This is what many theologians say. In the movie Left Behind, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins described the war of Gog and Magog as already happened before the rapture takes place. In the Ezekiel option, that's his book, I also chose to portray a war according or occurring before the rapture. He goes on to say this. Let me be clear. I believe the rapture could occur at any moment. I would certainly not be surprised if any of it occurred before the events of Ezekiel 30 and 39 come to pass. Christians, theologians speak of the doctrine of eminence. It's the eminent return of Christ, the doctrine of eminence. You go, what does that mean? It means that according to the Bible, there's no prophetic event that has to happen before Jesus snatches the church from the earth. Why do I say that? Because again, I want to pour into you guys just to have that foundation, to have that foundation. So don't know when it's going to happen, but we know that it's about to happen. 
You go, well, Ben, what happens if it what happens if the Lord tarries? And it's two, three, four, six, seven years. That's still a relatively short time. It really is. I mean, you think about it, we just started 2023, and it's almost June. I mean, time just seems to be moving very quickly, and it's like, wow, pretty soon we'll be in here celebrating New Year's and Christmas in 2024 if the Lord tarries. And so we don't know, church, but I want you to be prepared. You see, you don't have to be prepared and go, well, if God doesn't come back by 2024, I'm going to go back to my own lifestyle. No, as believers, we go, listen, I'm ready. And, if, it, and if, he, if he wants to wait six years, that gives me six years to do the Lord's work. Six years. Let's go, Lord. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? That's chapters 1 to 6, historical. Number 2, chapters 7 through 12, jot this down. These are known as the prophetic chapters. You go, what does that mean? This is going to be foretelling future events. Future events. Now, the second way Daniel is broken down is pretty intense. Why? Remember, from Daniel 1 to 121, it's set in Babylon, but it's written in Hebrew for the Hebrew people. Let me say that again, okay? Daniel 1, 1 through 21 is in Babylon, but it's written in Hebrew to Hebrew people. Okay? Starting in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to 728, it's written in Aramaic. It's written in Aramaic. Aramaic was the Gentile language. So from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 7, it's a different language, more for the Gentiles. Starting in chapter 8, verse 1, all the way to 12, 13, it returns to Hebrew. Just fascinating stuff. Just fascinating. Now, here's what I find interesting. When it comes to the history of the world, it's playing out much like the book of Daniel. Just like it. God is dealing with the Jewish people. Daniel tells us, from the decree to build Jerusalem until the crucifixion, we have 69 sevens, or 69 weeks. When Jesus died upon the cross, the prophetic time clock stopped. We entered into the church age. The church age is going to stop, if you will, at the rapture of the church. That's going to stop. Then we will see God deal with who? With Israel for seven more years, otherwise known as the 70th week of Daniel. So for all of these years, church, in the book of Daniel, God has been saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Watch this. He's just given us prophetic languages to break it down. And then we see for 69 weeks, we saw that happened, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more later on. But then we're waiting for the 70th week of Daniel. But the point is, is this is what's going to happen. Okay, I'm going to give you kind of a brief nutshell. We're here. We're, we're living our lives. We're, doing, we're going to work. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're just engaging in fellowship. And all of a sudden, we're going to hear a trumpet. We're going to hear the trumpet sound from the Lord. And I believe it's going to be the internal trumpet, maybe not so much from our ears. But we're going to hear a trumpet. And the Bible says we're going to boom. The dead in Christ will raise first, and we're going to go, and we're going to be with the Lord. That's going to be amazing. The Holy Spirit who lives in us, okay, is now really taken off the Gentile world. Okay? The Holy Spirit is now taken off the Gentiles and now put on the Jewish people. Why is that important? 
Because you've got to remember that I still think, I think and I believe that we have a lot of fence walkers in the church today, a lot of fence walkers. They're not really committed to God, but when they see the rapture of the church, when they see the rapture of the church, they're going to go, wow, I need to get right. I need to get right. So the Holy Spirit is not so much obsolete, it's just going to be focused on the Jewish people. He's going to spend those seven years. Remember, I want you to think about everything that God does, he does with a purpose, and he does for a purpose. So I was talking to my friend in Sioux Falls. My friend in Sioux Falls called me yesterday, and he's like, uh, I just wrote a check for 20000 And I said, did you write it to me? <laughs> he goes, no. And I said, well, I'm not nervous. Why are you nervous? He said, because we just bought a building. So they just bought a $3 million building. He wrote the earnest money. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I said, but, you know, last year when I was at your house, you said that you thought maybe that the rapture would happen in September and, and we'd all be taken off. I said, well, would God give you a, a new building and a better location and a bigger square footage? And he goes, let me, let me tell you, let me give you three scenarios. Number one, God can do whatever he wants to do and he may come and it's, it's just a building. Okay, that's good. Yeah, amen. Let's go home. God tarries, and they get in the building, and he tarries for a certain amount of time that in this building, all of a sudden, it's on a main street, and, and, and gospel and ministry happens even more. He said, but let me give you, let me paint this scenario. We get in the building, we close on the building, and all of a sudden, everybody in town goes, wow, that's, that's New Calvary Chapel, that's New Calvary Chapel, that's New Calvary Chapel, wow, that's New Calvary. And the rapture takes place, and now you have an empty building, and the people would go, this is crazy. Why would a church move and then just empty the building? And he said, and that when I thought, man, I thought all three were cool. I thought all three were cool. And so again, think about this. This is what's happening. So the Holy Spirit is now, he's, he's on the Jewish people for, for Daniel's 70th week. He's on, the, he's on the juice. He's going to work for them. And then you and I, we're going to be having some good steak and some filet mignon and all that better than Roadhouse. We're going to be up there. And, uh, and uh, you know, Joe, sorry, but you're going to have great steak in heaven. And <laughs> it's good. He says, good. Um, for seven years, we're going, to, we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be glorious. What does that look like? I have no idea, but it's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. Then we're going to come back with the Lord, and all of us, let me just say it this way, all y'all are going to work for the Lord for a thousand years. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to have you do, but I do know this. He's going to look at our faithfulness while we were on earth, and then, dis, and then, and then okay, now go out for a thousand years. This beautiful, glorious world. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead because got, we've got a lot to cover, but I want you to think about this. There are people that are going to make it through the tribulation. So the world will very much look like it looks like this. A little beat up from Revelation, but you understand. There's still going to be people getting married. There's still going to be people having babies. We're going to be in a glorified body. I don't know what God has us to do, but the world is very much still going to look how we see it. And people, the people who make it through, don't know how many or what, are still going to die. So there'll still be funerals. There'll still be all of these things, which blew my mind when you think about it. The people who make it through the seven years aren't going to live a thousand years. We will. 
And so we get to rule and reign with God. Ben, how's that going to work? If somebody dies, does the Lord resurrect them and puts them to work? I don't know. But I know we're going to be the first ones in. Who's ready to go on the first bus? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, back in our text, chapter 7 was the final chapter written in Aramaic. Now, chapter 8, Hebrew. We're going to see Hebrew. So, we need to study chapter 8 with the backdrop of Daniel 7. I want you to understand it with the backdrop of the tribulation. Okay? In, in tribulation. Now, look at verse 1 and 2 with me again. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. Do you remember Belshazzar? He reigned only for three years, but he was way back. And uh, he was right after Nebuchadnezzar, writing on the wall the whole nine yards. He says, During this time a vision appeared to me, slash, to me, Daniel. After the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Sushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw this vision, and I was by here, this river, Ulai. And so here it is. So let's go back. Let's break it down. Belshazzar only reigned for three years. And if you remember back in chapter 5, it was during his rulership, his rulership, that Babylon, the Babylonian Empire crumbled under the hands of the Medo-Persians. Do you remember that? Belshazzar was sitting out having a party. He's like, you know, just having this through a party, and, and, and the Medo-Persians were out there. Well, this came in, and it destroyed the reign of Belshazzar and the Babylonian Empire. This vision is two years after the one that appeared unto Daniel in the first Daniel in the first seven chapters. So he's coming back and he's going, okay. He says, now look, verse 3, I lifted my eyes and saw. And there, standing beside the river, remember he's watching this vision, was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high. And one was higher than the other. And one, and the higher one came up last. Now, to you and I, when we read something like this, we're saying, you know what, Daniel, if it's not a dream or something, man, you have some crazy visions. Like, like I, I like to sometimes try to remember my dreams. You know, it's like, oh, that was weird. I remember I was kind of, you know, riding a skateboard or flying in a, whatever it might be, however dreams you have. And we try to remember them. But these are like, he's saying, listen, I was standing by a river and there was a, there's a, there's a ram. You got horns. You know what I noticed? One horn is bigger than the other. And, and he's just telling this. And I was like, wow, wow. So his vision was what? That of a ram with two horns. And he says one was taller than the other. If you have a pencil handy and you don't mind writing in your Bible, circle the word for ram. It's very, very important. Okay? And it's going to go back all the way here where he says, I saw. Here it is. And appeared. And I saw the vision. Okay? So you go, what do you mean? Here's the ram. Here's the ram. In verse 3. The first power introduced to us in this chapter is symbolized by a ram. By a ram. There's no guessing who this is. For in verse 20, we're told that it's the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. So unlike chapter 2... And chapter 7, the vision starts out with the kingdom of Babylon 
The reason being that Babylon was all, was at the end the end of its reign of world dominance. Basically, it was what it was pushing, being pushed off the scene. This is what's kind of happening. So Daniel, in his dream, way back, says in his vision, if you will, he says, "I saw, I saw a ram." You go, Ben. You said that. Well, here's the thing: most people who are reading this were going, "Ah, oh, I'm not sure." I'm not sure what's going on, but here's what you got to see. Here's what you got to see. It wasn't a stretch to use the ram to represent the Medo-Persian Empire. Emmanuel Marcellinus, the 4th century historian, states that the Persian ruler bore the head of a ram as he stood at the head of his army. So, he comes out... This was cited by Wood. This was Wood is the is the author of the commentary. He said the ram, listen to this, the ram was the national emblem of Persia, the ram being being stamped on the Persian coins as well as the headdress of Persian emperors. So when he says, "Hey, it's a ram," everybody went, "Yeah, it's a ram." That that would easily mean the Persians, easily. Easily. So it's not a far-fetch. It's not a far-fetch. And then Daniel says in verse 4, I saw the ram. What was he doing? He was pushing westward, northward, and southward so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will, and he became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat, okay, came from the west across the surface of the whole earth. Without touching the ground, the goat had a notable horn between his eyes now this is crazy it gets even more crazy so we have a ram which we know is the medo-persian if you will with the persians guys mightier and stronger than the medes that's why he said one horn was bigger so you got somebody who's a little bit stronger and he goes then all of a sudden in my vision this goat comes across the scene so fast and it had a notable horn between his eyes so now you have this there you go you go wow in the same chapter, in verses 21 and 22, this male goat, and we'll look at it next week, was identified with Greece. And its horns are identified as the rulers of the Greek empire. You go, well, who was the notable horn? Why would he see that? Now, remember, it's prophetic, so this hasn't happened. This hasn't happened. And he's, and he's saying that. He goes, the, you know who the notable horn was? Alexander the Great. This is why people freak out and go, well, no, 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 there's no way, there's no way you can, you can prophesy that, that detail. There's no way. You had to know history. You had to know history. And, and, and he's like, no, 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 no. God gave him that vision, and he said, this is exactly who it is. Now, let me give you an interesting fact. From ancient history, we know this wasn't a strange symbol, this goat. Why? Check this out. The goat was a common representation of the Greek empire. So the ram represented the Medo-Persians with the Persians a little strong. The goat represented the Greek empire. Newton very properly observes that 200 years before the time of Daniel, Greece was called the goat's people. The goat's people. Oh, that's the goat's people. 
So he sees this goat, and he's like, whoa. So everything is making sense to Daniel. Verse 6. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing by the river, and ran at him. This is the goat now. Ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him. He attacked the ram, and he broke his two horns. Who were the two horns, church? The Medo-Persians. Remember that. Who was stronger? The Persians. Keep that in mind. So all of a sudden, this goat comes and just tramples him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of, of, of just war. This is, this is, he's talking about a ram and a goat, but this is war. This is, this is all of this going on. And he says, here's what happened. He says, therefore, the male goat grew very, very great. But when he had become strong, guess what happened? A large horn was broken. And in place of it, four notable horns came up toward the four winds of heaven. So all of a sudden, you have this one horn, and there he goes, and he's strong. And all of a sudden, this notable horn is broken, and four come out from that. Four. You're like, wow. I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm like, wake up, wake up, wake up. You know, I don't know if I want to see this, but, but he's, definitely got, he's, he, he's definitely got that. So, so there was no power. And the male goat, notice, four notable horns came from the four winds of heaven. From the rest of verse 7, it's easy to see that Alexander utterly destroyed the Medo-Persian Empire. Alexander's empire, guys, covered Greece and Macedonia in the west, the east, through almost the Indus River. Then south through Syria, Palestine, and Egypt. So it was all all of that. He was very, very strong. It says... The, therefore, the male goat grew very great because Alexander's kingdom, he covered such a large territory than the Medes and the Persians and the fact that he conquered them, Greece is regarded as waxing very great. Oh, when we talk about Greece, oh, Alexander the Great, this is, this, this is a strong army. But something happened. You go, what happened? The notable horn, it broke. What does that mean? When the empire was at its peak, guys, here's some history. Alexander actually died. Alexander, he was so depressed that he took to drinking. You go, why was he depressed? He was Alexander the Great. I mean, who wouldn't want to be, hey, you know what? I'm going to walk around and say, hey, I'm Ben the Great. You know, I mean, but the problem was is that he had conquered so much and he did it so fast that he's like, there's nothing else to conquer. I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm just like, and so he died at the age of 31. The notable horn. Just before his death they, death, they came in and said, okay, so so who should the kingdom go to? His reply came that it would go to the strongest. The strongest. Look at verse 9. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. Not, okay, so jot this down. This is not the same horn that is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. Okay, That horn is going to arise out of the revived Roman Empire. The revived Roman Empire. I was doing some research, and I came across Jerusalem Dateline. 
And I could not believe, you guys know that it was Israel's 75th birthday. And they were, they were, they were all celebrating, and, um, and a lot of people don't like that. But what I found interesting is that they're going to have, they're going to have what they call the, the, there's this, it was the 1967 war, same time, uh, probably coming up tomorrow, they're going to have this parade. And uh, I, I've just got to tell you, it was, it's just like, wow, wow. Why? Because the UN and all the people are just against Israel. Israel. Instead of rejoicing and saying, yes, you fought for your independence, they're actually saying, no, 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 no. And the UN, and it just made me, why are you giving me this information? It just made me think, I wonder if the UN is going to have anything to do or any type of power in the last days. I don't know. I don't know. We know, church, remember, we know the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, is who? The Antichrist. You remember that. We know that. The horn that Daniel's talking about, jot this down, it's going to come out of of Greece, and it refers to a fellow by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, Here's how you spell it so you can, you can have it in your Bible. A-N-T-I-O-C-H-U-S. A-N-T-I-O-U-C-H. Antiochus. The second one is Epiphanes. E-P-H-I-P, uh, E-P-I-P-H-A-N-E-S. Epiphanes. Now, before you, you can just write that down, but let me show you how this guy got that. Okay? Now, the reason we're seeing this guy is because the same... Listen, ooh this is going to be good. The same is going to occur in the future temple. Okay, a little bit of history. Right now in Israel, when we go, Cynthia, you'll be able to go into the Temple Institute. You'll see all the things ready for, um, for the sacrifice in the new temple. Everything from the showbread to everything, they've got it all ready. It's called the Temple Institute. You pay five, ten dollars and you get to walk through and they give you a little spiel. But they're ready to go. So you know that a third temple is going to be built. Don't know how, don't know where, but we know it's going to be built. And it's not, it's not hard to see when you get up on the temple mount. Okay? And so what happens, guys, is in the future temple, the Antichrist is going to come in in the middle of the three and a half years, and he's going to desecrate the temple. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but remember, what we're looking at this as the backdrop of the tribulation. You guys with me? Okay. So, Antiochus, Antiochus, he came to the throne about 175 BC. And what he did is he came in and he plundered the temple in Jerusalem. And you go, how? He desecrated the temple by offering pig's flesh on the altar. That he came in and, and again. So, his real name is Antiochus IV, Antiochus IV. And he gained the throne of his father, Antiochus III, by murdering his brother and former king, Seleucus. Um, basically, it's Philopater. Philopater. How'd you like that name? P-H-I-L-O-P-A-T-R. Philopater. Okay? So he murders his bro. I want to, I want to be king. I don't think it was Lion King. It wasn't like, oh, I just can't wait. He's killing people. Well, the son of Philopater was the rightful heir to the throne, but Antiochus IV 
had him, basically had him held hostage in Rome. Antiochus IV legitimized his rule mainly, listen, you've got to jot this down somewhere in your Bible, through flattery and bribery. This dude had a silver tongue. Incredible car salesman. Could sell you the car before you even knew you wanted to buy one. Antiochus IV, because he had such a silver tongue, because he meant, he, listen, he's a murderer, he's all of these things, but, but listen, he said, no, 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 I don't want to be called Antiochus IV. As a matter of fact, I'm going to change my title to Antiochus Epiphanes. You go, what does Epiphanes mean? It means, it means illustrious, alluding to deity. Basically, Antiochus, way back in 175 BC, said, I'm God! I'm God, Antiochus deity. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So again, the people thought he was crazy. They're like, you're you're not God. You're not God. So the Jews, actually the ancient Jews, twisted his name to um, Epiphanes. Epiphanes meaning madman. So basically they were calling him Antiochus madman. He's crazy. But he's saying, I'm God. I'm illustrious. I'm Antiochus illustrious. Now, we're going to go in more detail next week, but let's jump into, go jump over to verses 23 and 25, because I want to give you a biblical description. This is Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus the fourth. Verse 23. And the latter time of their kingdom, when transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. You guys got to catch this. He shall destroy fearfully and, and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under the rule. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. And he shall destroy many in their prosperity. And he shall even rise against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken without human means. Okay, your attention. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. But we're going to see future. This is the Antichrist. This is the anti. This is who's now. Now listen to me. This is who's on the scene right now. Where is he at? I don't know. But we know he's on the scene. We're that close to where you have somebody who's a silver tongue, who's who's going to be just a commanding general, but who's also ruthless. He's not going to put up with anything. And so again, this is, this is Antiochus Epiphanes. This is what Daniel saw, but let's do it on the backdrop of what's coming in the future. Okay? So it says, in the latter time of their kingdom. This is what it says. The prophecy in this passage reads equally true of both Antiochus and the Antichrist. This is an example of a prophetic passage that has both a near and far fulfillment. Listen to me, church. If we study the Bible enough and we get deep into it, the Lord is not slack in in giving us information of what's about to happen. He's put it out here and people are going, "That's that's Antiochus Epiphanes. And he's going, yes, it is. But there's one coming just like that. Well, what do you mean? Well, Antiochus, it says that he had um, fierce features. He had fierce features. Why? Here's what you need to know. 
Antiochus Epiphanes was known, this is what he's known for, for his cruel brutality. Cruel brutality. He didn't play. He didn't look and go, oh, I, I have respect for human life. Oh, the sanctity of life. No, he, he didn't play. And, and what the Lord wants to show us, guys, by way of application, is this will also be true of the coming Antichrist. You see, our world, our world, church, listen, with many people, they're like, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't know about God. I, if I go to hell, I'll party with my friends. And they have this attitude like, I, 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 but, but you don't understand what they're going to go through. And then you have people that will say, hey, you know what? I'll give my life to the Lord then. I'll give my life to the Lord in the, in the tribulations. Not a big deal. And it's like, but listen, listen. He, he, this Antichrist is going to be known for his cruel brutality. You see, we're going to think, the people, not us, because we're out of here, but the people are going to think, oh no, he's our savior. He's our savior. He's going to help us. And, and, we, and we'll pledge our allegiance to him until he comes into the temple on the three and a half year mark and desecrates the temple. And desecrates the temple. In Antiochus, the Bible says in Antiochus that he uh, understood sinister schemes. Did you see that? And that he's cunning. Antiochus was known for his flattery and his smooth tongue. And the Antichrist will strike a covenant with Israel. We're going to see that in chapter 9, verse 27. Now, think about this, guys. Think about this. The tribulation does not start until the covenant is signed. How are they going to get a covenant where the Jews can worship on the Temple Mount and the, and, um, the Muslims can worship on the Temple Mount as well? There's got to be a covenant. There's got to be somebody who can put all of this together. Because right now, they're still fighting. They're still fighting up there. You realize that the Temple Mount is under Jewish control. And yet, the Muslims have control and can tell you to get on and get off whenever they want. And in their times, they bring up and they do, and and, and all of this stuff. And so you have to understand, you have to understand there's a couple of things. Number one, not all the Muslims are bad. They're brothers that need Jesus. And so we have to, oh, we all, we'll put them all in that. Well, they're, they're this, we know that they need Jesus. But right now they're blinded. They're blinded. They'll understand, they'll read the New Testament, but when it gets, or the Old Testament, but when it gets to the New Testament, they don't want anything to do because who does the New Testament speak of? Yahshua, Jesus, the Savior of the world. They know that. Satan knows that. His power, the Bible says, will be mighty. Notice, look at your Bible, but not by his own power. This is Antiochus, right? But Antiochus was empowered by Satan and allowed by God. The same will be true of the Antichrist. He's going to be powered by Satan. The Bible said that we just read, he shall prosper and thrive. Prosper and thrive. Antiochus looked like a total success. The coming Antichrist will look like a complete winner until God topples his reign. Think about this. Put on your thinking caps for just a minute. We have just a f- Put on your thinking caps. Do you remember when COVID hit early on? 
everyone, and I'm speaking with a broad brush, everyone wanted to go back to normal. Can we just go back to normal? Can we go back? I would sit him off. Can we ever going to see 2019? I remember 2019. We, I was, I, we could fly on an airplane. Everything seemed to be normal. You didn't have any of this. Nobody was sick, blah, blah, blah. And everything wanted to go back to normal. Think about this for just a second. The world is just in huge chaos, and a Savior steps up and says, I can make everything normal. I, you can go back to your homes. You can do this. You can do that. And so what, what COVID did for us, guys, is it gave us a little preview of what people really want and what they value in life. Normalcy. And we're risking everything to go back to normal. Whatever it takes. As long as we can go back to normal. Whatever it takes. Think about this. The rapture, chaos, the Antichrist steps up and says, I can take care of everything, but here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to do. The Bible says that Antiochus will destroy the mightily and also the holy people. Do you know that Antiochus Epiphanes not only destroyed his enemies, but he harshly persecuted the people of God? The coming Antichrist will also destroy and persecute. You realize in Revelation that when he comes up and he offers swine, and it says the Jewish people go, oh my gosh, this is blasphemy. They tear their clothes. And the Lord says, run over to Petra. Get going. Don't come down from, don't stop and pick a pack of bag. Get going because the Antichrist is going to destroy them and kill them. The moment. Oh, well, well and think about this. You ever know, you ever, you ever think that when you're blindsided, just like, oh, wow, I didn't see that happen. You're blindsided. They're going to blindside these people, these Jewish people who give their allegiance to, oh, it's saved, we're saved, and he's, he's politically and he's amazing, but studying the book of Daniel tells us, oh my goodness, this is what's going to happen. The word of God said about Antiochus Epiphanes, he shall exalt himself in his heart. Oh man, if that, didn't, if that didn't make the hair stand on the back of your head, why? Well, the coins of Antiochus Epiphanes were, were inscribed with this title. Check it out. Theos Epiphanes. You go, what does that mean? It means God manifest. That's the coin he made. I'm God. The coming Antichrist is also going to exalt himself so that he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. Okay, real quick. The Jewish people, there are what we have, Orthodox Jews and Messianic Jews. Orthodox Jews and Messianic Jews. The Messianic Jews believe in Christ. They believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The Orthodox Jews are still waiting for their Messiah. So this guy comes in, he looks like God, he acts like God, he has power, he has the power of Satan. These people are going to go and pledge their allegiance, whatever it means. Whatever mark he's going to give, whatever... Whatever it has to be, they're going to pledge their allegiance. And he's going to get up there and he's going to say, oh, by the way, you know, I tricked you into thinking I'm God or I tricked you into thinking I'm the Savior. I am. I'm God. And the ones who don't have the mark and the ones are going to be like, ah, and they're going to run. And they're going to run. The Bible says that he's, he's broken without human means. History, guys, tells us the Antiochus Epiphanes died of a disease, not the hand of a man. 
So in a similar way, no man will defeat the coming Antichrist, but the hand of Jesus will strike him down. You can jot this down, Revelation 19 and 20. Therefore, seal up the vision. Daniel must do this because his day, the vision referred to a period far distant and is ultimately fulfillment. For us, the time is near. And the book is unsealed. Daniel, seal it up, not us. Not us. Not us. So, lots of history. Lots. I mean, it just blew my mind how, how Daniel saw and prophesied and saw Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, and he just he laid it out at what was going to happen, and we know that that's future. So next week, we'll work our way through verses 10 through 27, and we'll learn more about Antiochus Epiphanes. But here's our takeaway for tonight. Here's our takeaway. Daniel, in great detail, prophesied about the coming kingdom. From the Medo-Persians to Greece, the purpose is so that we can look back and solidify our allegiance to God. Oh, Lord, that happened? Yes, you have it. You have it. See, we don't have to see the movie. I don't want to be here when it happens. I don't care to be a fly on the wall and go, ooh, let me see what's going to happen. I don't want any part of this movie that's about to take place. We know what's about to come. We want no part of the coming Antichrist as he persecutes the Jewish nation and as he persecutes believers. You go, wait, 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 Ben. I thought believers. No, no. There's going to be a lot of believers, but it's going to be after we're gone. After we're gone. So this church is our loving warning. What do you mean? Well, time is short. I can honestly say that Jesus is on his way. We need to repent and we commit our hearts to him. We need to be right. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for our great love for for all of us, Lord. We thank you that, Lord, I mean, you wrote this down in Daniel chapter 8. I could have said the vision of... the vision of Antiochus Epiphanes, but, Lord, you poured it out so great. We get to see what happens all the way from the Old Testament. We get to see what happens from the New Testament. And Lord, we stand with our arms in complete surrender because we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word and the truth in your word. Continue to grow us in your word. Father, if we need to go back and listen to the podcast, if we need to write some more notes down, Lord, you're going you're gonna to just speak to us, Lord. Yes, Lord, time is short. But like Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That should be who we are. And so we love you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.